Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson. We are the Last Nighters. You can find us on the Liberty Movement. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called the Liberty Movement, and you can find us there now. The Launchpad Media apparently has been suspended for uh, some kind of made-up um, violation of some some rule. I don't even know, but you can no longer find us on the Launchpad Media because if you try to go to the Launchpad Media, you will get a this account has been suspended. So. You can find us on lastnighters.com, and this episode will be uh, 154 of the show. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 154, and you can also find it on the YouTube channel, The Liberty Movement, of which I was a guest of the um, uh, No Way Jose show, also on The Liberty Movement, just a few short weeks ago, and I'll put that on our show notes page. But tonight, we're going to be doing a movie, very appropriately, called Three Idiots, because, well, it's me, my co-host Robert, and our buddy Jared of Breaking Liberty, who, uh, because he is such an idiot, as am I, he is away from <laughs> away from his mic at the moment. So I'm going to check in with Two Baller Bill, also known as Robert Paul Johnson, before we introduce Jared of Breaking Liberty. Hey, buddy. Hey, how's it going? Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show. We're going to be doing Three Idiots tonight. It's going to be our first Bollywood feature. But maybe not our last. We'll see what the reviews tell. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to get into this one. It should be interesting. Bollywood has a... I mean, if Bollywood's known for anything, it is dance numbers and weirdo wild wackiness. And I think this movie has a bit of both. But in... In addition to that, it might also tell a pretty heartwarming story. So, uh, yeah, yeah, should be should be fun, Daniel. All right, all right, he's back. Good, good cover, good cover. All right, and our guest, our guest is of course our friend Jared Wall of Breaking Liberty. He's been on a couple of times before, uh, I think four times. So this might be the fifth time you've been on most recently, I believe for gold prior to that you were on for no hotel Rwanda was most recent gold was before that. There was something like a week or two. No. Oh man. Captain Phillips, Captain, Captain Phillips gold, and breaking bad movie El Camino. And now three idiots. And you have told us in the pre-show and post-show content I don't know how many times. They're probably on every single one of those episodes. Available for our Patreon supporters at lastnightshow.com slash Patreon. That you have a favorite film. And tonight, we're talking about it. It is, of course, Three Idiots, as Robert, uh, one of my co-idiots here, uh, mentioned earlier. It is one of my favorite films. Um, it's uh, <laughs> The more often I watch it, the further down it drops in that list. But... Uh, Definitely, like the first time I watched it, a, a, a Indian friend that I worked with recommended it to me and said it was probably the greatest Bollywood movie that was ever made. Um, and so I watched it with my wife, and we both really liked it. Um, you, it's definitely a little bit too long, uh, and there's some goofiness in it and some overacting in it. Uh, but I, th I like the story a lot, um, and I think it's got a lot of good, uh, good, good lessons to be learned. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And uh, I, I think that there are going to be plenty of things worth talking about. Now, thank you again for rescheduling this multiple times with us. Um, my last week at work has been extremely busy. And then we were going to record yesterday. And then our cat had uh, his last day. And so that became a uh, another difficult thing that 
I, I couldn't bring myself to record knowing that as soon as we're done, we're taking him in because then I would just know the whole time we're recording, like what's about to happen and that he's suffering as a result of that. So thank you for being so flexible so we could just go and do what needed to be done. Yeah, no problem. That's never an easy thing. So uh, my, my condolences and uh, I, uh, is there, is there going to be a replacement cat coming or uh, maybe a dog this time? Or we, a have a dog. we have a dog, we have another cat and nine chickens. So I think, okay. So you're not hurting. You're not hurting for pets. No, no, we're not hurting for pets, but we are saddened and uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's still, still sad for sure. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're like, you're like, you're sad, but then you're like, well, it's a cat. I mean, come on, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we've, we've had him for so long and, and yeah, it's super sad. But anyway, my point is thank you. And Robert, thank you for being able to reschedule uh, so many times on this one. So, yeah. You owe me money. Well, that we've already established that. Uh, I, I know, I, but I'm just saying, I'm just repeating that just randomly for no apparent reason. I used to I used to have a standing bet every single year from like 1999 through 2015 or something. I would bet ten dollars every year that the Bills were going to make the playoffs, and I lost every single one of those years. And then I stopped making the bet, and now three out of the last five years they made the playoffs. <laughs> but you've been burned so many times before. Yeah, but now now they're nine and three and beating the Steelers at halftime. But I still don't feel good about. Uh, what's coming here with the bills something something bad is going to happen at one point here it's just been it's been too good of a season so far are you enjoying the are you enjoying the fall of the patriots um i would have enjoyed it more if tom brady was still there well we all would it's true yes um but you still gotta take some satisfaction yeah i mean it just it kind of sucks because the bills never once beat tom brady in buffalo while he was with New England in like 20 years. So the first time the Bills beat New England is after Tom Brady leaves. So that's kind of like, well, we never got oh, it done. Victory. Yeah. yeah. Does, does Tom Brady leaving and them sucking add to his legacy? I don't know, because he's kind of sucking in Tampa, too. It's hard to say if he's doing well in Tampa or sucking in Tampa. You don't know how good they're supposed to be, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, he wasn't very good last year with New England either. Hmm. And he is ancient and, you know, (laughs) that kind of, uh, that kind of employment is going to beat you up uh, over the course of 20 years. He's your age, Daniel. He's your age. Yeah, but he gets beat up. He gets beat up by 300 pound dudes all the time. I mean, I don't do that and I'm falling apart. You don't do that. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. Well, how we normally start this off is with the uh, old Google description. So I will pull it up now and we will get into this three idiots. So this uh, is an Indian film came out in 2009. It's rated PG 13. It's considered a comedy slash romance. And is it a excruciating two hours and 50 minutes? Uh, it's available on Netflix. However, comma, I couldn't watch it on Netflix because I ditched Netflix a couple of months ago due to the cuties fiasco, but I was able to watch it on Amazon Prime. It got an 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 100% Rotten Tomatoes and 95% of Google users like it. The description reads, In college, Farhan and Raju form a great bond with Rancho due to his positive and refreshing outlook to life. Years later, a bet gives them a chance to look for their long-lost friend whose existence seems rather elusive. 
The release date was December 23rd, 2009, which uh, was totally coincidental in us doing this film at this time of year, but um, quite appropriate uh, now that we've seen the release date. And I'm going to butcher a few names here. The director is uh, Raj Kumar Hirani, and the screenplay is by him, Vidu Vinod Chopra and Abhijat Joshi. And it has many musical numbers and interludes. Uh, one of them is called Zuby Dooby. And it's, um, I think there is a very good two-hour movie in this. It's maybe an hour or so too long. There are good messages and good critiques of things that uh, we will certainly discuss in this episode. But I'm going to go to Robert for your opening salvo, please, sir. All right. I will accept your faux pas of calling me Robert for this episode. Um, but yeah, so we're talking about the movie Three Idiots. It's our first Bollywood feature, and it's probably, I guess, all downhill from here if this is the best one. Like Daniel said, it is like almost three hours long. And for me, the beginning was very, very slow. Like the first 20 to 30 minutes was all set up. And I was just, where is this going? What's actually happening? Who are these characters? It didn't really grab me. So I started and stopped it like a few times in that first 30 minutes and just like did other things. Uh, but then once Rancho gets on screen, he's a pretty dynamic character. And he is the, you know, the tropey character that bucks the system, that's super good at everything. But he's also a very good, you know, he tries hard and he, he works hard and he's very creative and inventive. And he's, uh, you know, he, his character does interesting things or at least fun things. So for me, that that kind of hooked me pretty well right there where he actually used his engineering talents and abilities throughout the film. I appreciated that he, they weren't just talking about these things and they weren't just, just engineering students. They actually like applied engineering as part of the plot, which was like, that makes sense that these kids are engineering students. I'm glad that you are using that as part of the movie. I appreciated that. And the whole movie itself, um, it was almost kind of amazing that all the foreshadowing, all the elements that they foreshadowed throughout the movie all pay off. It was almost incredible. And almost to the point where it's like a bit cheesy. Like there's a scene where, you know, they're uh, delivering a baby and they're using their engineering abilities that they had like previously set up in the movie to deliver the baby. And then there was a scene where, you know, then the baby was like dead and then he said all is well and it kicked. That was, you know, a little bit heavy on the cheese, a little bit on the nose plot wise. But there were a lot of that. A lot of the on the nose plot wise, like, yes, we are blatantly setting things up. Yes, we're blatantly paying them off. But for me, the the human story, the heart that the movie had, the positive messages that the movie had won me over. I forgive the movie for being so on the nose and so cheesy. And this is one of the best movies I've seen this year. Easily. <laughs> what? Easily. This is easily one of the best movies I've seen this year. Uh, there are many scenes where I was crying. I wasn't necessarily laughing a whole lot, but there are a lot of scenes where I was smiling and enjoying myself. Absolutely. I was hooked into the story. I uh, 
you know, it, it didn't it didn't make sense there. We, we can get into some things like why does Rancho just piss off and then doesn't contact his friends again? That just didn't make any sense to me. But, you know, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a whole lot of fun. If there's if there's more Bollywood stuff like this, I'm I'm on board. All right. Well, I just got to say you had me fooled, sir, with the uh, I aming that we did related to this film. I was fully expecting the Robert tirade of hate for this movie uh and i'm i'm glad in a way that you did not hate this movie but i also am saddened because i was looking forward to said tirade that i was expecting so i'm i'm thrown for a little bit of a loop here i'm not sure how, i had a whole bunch of content that was related to okay robert hates this so i'm gonna poke at him uh based on some of these observations that uh, will draw his ire but unfortunately you don't have a whole lot of ire but i do agree there is a lot of setup and a lot of payoff and yes some of it is cheesy but i do appreciate the fact that they did pay off a lot of the things that they set up and, and you don't even realize that they're setups until after like the second part um happens and then you're like oh yeah they set that up earlier yeah, and they do it throughout the whole movie for like almost every plot point is set up earlier on and i I can't remember a movie where they do it quite like that. So it was almost like a paint by numbers kind of a movie. Like here's the setup, here's the payoff, here's the setup, here's the payoff. But I was just having such a good time. I didn't care. Yeah, and a lot of them, you know, like like we were saying don't seem like setups. Yeah. Only oh, no, in the beginning, it seems like a totally natural thing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's developing a transformer for, you know, cuz he's an engineering student. And then you know he needs to use that transformer to power the computer in the vacuum cleaner when he's delivering the baby. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's yeah. a million of those throughout the movie. And there's even like darker ones where um, the kid who eventually uh, jumps out the window, um, he's scared of heights. They're at the top of that tower thing, and and they're like doing the you know musical montage where they're trying to um, I guess get him to rejoin their friendship because some kind of split had occurred. And so they blindfold him and bring him up to this edge and they take the blindfold off and he's like looking down and he's like super scared. You know, even that's a setup because yeah, he, he jumps later, but uh, he, he survives um, after a very traumatic injury. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm very surprised. And uh, I will say also that the BBC show Sherlock could take lessons from this in having setups and payoffs as it has all set up no payoff. If you've ever seen Sherlock it's all flash, no panache. <laughs> but uh, Jared, let's go to you for your take. I'm I'm surprised with Robert's uh, positive comment so far. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, one of the best movies of the year that he's seen. That's that's very high praise for uh, for a movie review uh, podcast. Here, I, uh, I'm, I I too was a little bit surprised with that um, review from uh, Dollar Bill here and. Um, Really, uh, I, uh, I mean, I, 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 I was a little bit surprised that the Google description described it as a comedy. Um, just watching the movie, it doesn't really feel like a comedy. I mean, there are some semi-funny moments, but uh, I mean, the corniness and the cheesiness and the, the song and dance aspect of it, um, it, that kind of contributes to the, you know, it being an hour lo longer than it needed to. But uh, apparently this, that, that, you know, every so often breaking into song and dance that's a, a staple of bollywood movies um and actually my wife and i this is kind of funny we came about this close from choosing zuby doobie as our 
entrance song for our, our weddings um, reception. Uh, didn't end I up doing think, it. But I don't think anyone would have got it. Nobody would have gotten it. No, we didn't have any Indians at our wedding. I don't think maybe one. Uh, but anyways, no, I, uh, I mean, just in terms of the, the idea of allowing a child to choose their own future instead of choosing it for them, um, of letting a child experience, uh, and, and learn organically through, um, through, through trial and just kind of following their interests as opposed to spoon feeding and forcing and pressuring people into learning, you know, uh, you know like the SAT test or, uh, whatever else you could think of. Um, it's, it's a very good, I mean, they're, they're talking about a university in India, but it kind of, I think there's a lot of lessons that could pertain just to, to education in general. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of places to, to take this, this movie in terms of what we're going to talk about, but yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's, it's at least in my top 10 of all time movies. Um, maybe in my top five, but I, I really like it. I'm very pleased that, that baller bill also liked it. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, people should check it out. It's, it's a, it's a long movie, but it's really good. And if you've got a kid that's say 14, 15, 16 years old, um, it's a good movie to watch, uh, with them. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you there. And, and I really enjoyed, and this is the, you know, the, the libertarian, uh, anarchist homeschooling dad, in me that really enjoyed the kind of shitting on the traditional school model, the Prussian model where they're doing the top down uh, conform to the, um, you know, making it competitive, but people are basically chasing after useless uh, distinctions and useless grades. They're not actually learning anything. They're just trying to beat out the other students and they're not actually learning anything of value uh, per se to use in the real world. And, at least all this pressure. And that's another side of this that's very interesting to me is that unlike, you know, you were saying you didn't see this much as a comedy. I, I was viewing this as a comedy until we saw that student hang himself. And I'm like, holy shit, how they go from comedic to this. And, and yet it, it you know, plays, uh, it plays. That's, okay. pretty, that's pretty early in the movie too. It's only like 40 minutes into this three hour movie. So it's kind of, it's in like that first quarter of the movie that that happens and it gets pretty dark there pretty quickly yeah um yeah continue i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no no it's it's okay but but then uh you know rancho's kind of take on all of this is that by using this model this prussian model this top-down model of, of competition and pressure that you're actually you know teaching a lot of these kids that if they don't um succeed at this that they're going to fail in life and virus um i forget his his real name but that's what they nickname him he's like the dean of the school and he's like very revered and very respected um and he 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 lives off of that like he wants that respect and he wants to be this kind of like almost authoritarian um but he's viewing himself as like this great teacher even though he's just creating, um, I think Rancho calls them machines, you know, like little robots, like people who just can recite back certain information, but not understand the concept, the, the, oh, the greater context of why that information is useful or valuable or how to use it outside of the box. 
you know, those types of things. And, and Rancho is very much an unconventional thinker and he's very much at odds with that traditional approach. And I, I too, I think would be at odds with it. And Robert, I, I know you would be as well, because when we were in school, in high school, I know that you were doing very, very well for a long time. And then something in you changed and you were like, you know what? Fuck this. This is dumb. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was very good at memorization and regurgitation. I was very good. It was very quite easy to me. So I always did well. I, I was a grade A student. But it, on my senior year, they call it senioritis, but it was me really just becoming disillusioned with everything. And I I just quit going, quit caring. I got like, I went from 4.0 to 0.5. And it was because I didn't feel that I was learning anything of value. And I wasn't for the most part. I mean, to some extent, that's my own fault. Like you, a lot of people in life take what they're given. And it takes this kind of a special person to recognize that you're not necessarily given the best and that you need to go above and beyond. And I was not that special. I didn't quite realize that I needed to take what the school offered me as a starting point and go above and beyond and go into actually what I cared about to learn. So I, I quit, basically. I stopped going. I stopped caring. And yeah, maybe if the school had been more oriented towards, you know, what are you interested in? More Montessori style versus here is what you need to learn here is and then here's in the worst possible way to learn it right like does does anybody even remember like i don't know remember how to do like you know even i, I could probably do some algebra i could remember some things from high school but it's really just yeah you're you're remembering things for the test and then you're dumping it so that you can remember things for the next test and it's probably one of the worst ways to learn, at least for for most people, I would say it, it's great for getting high test scores. And if that's your measuring stick for a good school, then OK. But like Rancho in this movie, and I think he, he makes a pretty good argument, you know, claims he, he claims that, no, it's more about, you know, learning why. Not just what. And understanding why, not just what. And so there's one scene in the film where the he's in an engineering class and the professor asks him, you know, what a machine is. And he kind of gives this poetic response. Like a machine is anything that helps humanity to, you know, apply energy and make things life easier. So he's talking about all these different things that are machines. And he points all around them, the machines here. And aren't machines wonderful because... They increase our work capacity and it makes life easier and better and more fulfilling for everybody and gives us more time to do other things, right? All these time-saving measures that are the, the creation of modern engineering minds. And the professor was just looking for the dictionary definition. And he was just like, no, that's a crap answer. Get the fuck out. Yeah, this and, isn't the philosophy class. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Wasting our time with this bullshit. And so, yeah, I mean, Rancho is, I think he makes a good argument in the film. Um you know, it seems like everybody adopts and all these status schools, they've all adopted kind of this Prussian model. I don't know. Maybe there are some places in the world where they are more, you know, interest oriented, but 
in my mind, uh, the world is a specialist place. You're not necessarily looking for somebody when you're hiring somebody to build you a house. You don't care if they can also give a good haircut. You're just looking for the best guy that can build a house. So the world is built full uh, for specialists. And this kind of general education that doesn't really prepare you for the world, like I felt from high school, I didn't pre feel prepared at all. I graduated high school and there was this big celebratory moment when you know, you're throwing off your caps and you're running around and you're like, hey, we're graduated. I had this big moment like, holy fuck, what do I do now? I had no idea. And it's okay to not know, but I felt like, and I still feel to this day, that I should have had some idea. That the schooling, that the education I received should have given me some tools with which to take on the modern world. And I didn't feel that at all. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had any direction, any kind of idea that I am prepared to do X, Y, or Z. I just felt like, well, I guess I got to go to college now because that wasn't anything. And maybe that's some of my fault. Like I said, maybe that, some of that is my fault. But the, the education system, like this movie says, is pretty much garbo. And what do you expect with a, uh, uh, you know, a government monopoly? Essentially, I mean, there are private schools, but you got to compete with, uh, you know, theft-funded schools. So, right, and and many of the uh, edicts that come down through the public schools end up being enforced in the private schools as well, regardless. But um, you know, a lot of your discussion reminds me of when I was in school. Uh, you were a couple of years older than me, but we were very close. And um, seeing you go through that experience, it actually made me. Um, also feel like I was wasting my time there, but I found a different path to uh, sort of not participate as much. And that was to um, get cozy with the administration of the school and get cozy with a few teachers and become like a teacher's assistant and also work uh, in, in such ways to where I would only actually have three or four classes a day and like two or three periods of like, being a teacher's assistant or whatever. And I, I took that to college with me as well. Um, so it was a way of like working within the system to basically get through the system with good grades and not uh, subject myself to the, uh, the bullshit as much. But um, another thing that Rancho sort of talks about, and this is reminiscent of like um, John Taylor Gatto. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Um, Brent Vinat of Brent Vinat of the School Sucks podcast is a big uh, fan of his, and he died a few years ago. But um, he was Teacher of the Year in New York, and then he quit. And he made a crusade to talk about the top-down Prussian model and, and how it's terrible for most kids. There's different learning uh, styles that that certain kids will gravitate to, and having the system that is in place uh, presently um, only teaches to like the um, you know, the middle third or something like that. So it, it forces everyone kind of into this cookie cutter thing and then it grades them. So it not only puts these competitive pressures on them uh, and, and, and forces them all into the same model, but then it actually makes them uh, feel as if they are being judged in such a way that will either uh, destroy their motivation to learn. So, it, you know, like kids in general, when they're young, they want to learn, they're curious about the world. And our goal with our kids is to facilitate that, you know, whatever they're interested in we're going to find as much information about that as possible and make it fun and interesting for them and rather than force things down their throat. But that's the type of model um, forcing things into kids in, in one specific style. Uh, you're going to turn off so many of them 
and they're going to not want to be motivated anymore. They're going to lose their desire to learn more. And, and you were an example of that. And then the uh, the grading system, you know, you're, you're basically telling kids you're, you're labeling them and they're going to take that label they've they've earned from whatever grade into whatever endeavors they do uh, in school in the future. And so if they're a C student, oh, I'm a C student. If they're a D student, oh, I'm a D student. And so they're going to underperform. Um, and and I, the last thing I'll mention, then we'll go to Jared, is I remember in my graduation sitting in rank order of our GPAs. And if you were above a certain GPA, you got this little gold cord that was like for honors. And the thing that stands out to me specifically is that I was the last person to get one of those gold cords. So the person to my right had a gold cord. The person to my left did not. We were seated in rank order on the on the football field in front of all the parents and everyone uh, in the stadium uh, so that you could just visually view the class similar to how they did in Three Idiots based on rank order. You know, who were the worst performers in the school? Who were the best performers in the school? So it's just like blatantly on display in front of everyone. And I was at that cutoff line. Um, you know, I was the last person in my class to get honors. And the person next to me must have felt like shit because it's all gold cords this way, all no no cords this other way, you know, right there at that line. So it's a, I think it's a shitty thing to do to people, basically is what I'm saying. But uh, Jared, let's get your uh, take on all of this. Did, did you experience a similar situation in your uh, educational upbringing? Yeah, my my senior year of high school, uh, very very much like uh, um, Dollar Bill, uh, I uh, I just really phoned it in. I uh, I mean, I didn't quit going or anything, but I definitely did not care anymore. Um, and part of it was because I got into a college in my fall semester of my senior year, so I was my next step was already uh, planned out. Um, and it was locked in. So regardless of what I did in spring semester, senior year, it didn't really matter. Um, but, uh, I mean, uh, and in college, I, uh, I mean, I probably should not have gone to college, um, looking back on it. Like, I wish I had started, uh, at 18 years old at zero instead of starting at 22 years old at negative 60,000 or whatever it was. Um, so, I mean, that's, the, the cost of higher education, especially in cases where you're not going for anything worthwhile, or uh, I guess I shouldn't say worthwhile, or anything valuable, um, anything with skills that are demanded on the marketplace, uh, that's just a waste of time and a waste of money to, to do that. Now, as far as going and getting an engineering degree, which ironically is, is the same type of degree that I got in college, um, even so, you know, I, I, I got an engineering degree and now I'm only very tangentially doing anything uh, related to engineering. But I mean, kind of kind of like what you were starting to talk about, Dollar Bill, uh, is that the coming out of high school with no real marketable skills is a serious problem. Um, and I think it's not, I mean, it's a problem, obviously, in the in the U.S. government school system, but it seems like it's a problem most around the world. Uh, and and you know what this movie portrays, like Far Far on for existence, for for instance, he uh, he had 
some pretty good skill skills as a photographer just on his own. That was his interest. That's what he organically chose to, to learn and he got good at it, but his, you know, the pressure from his family and probably, you know, to a certain extent society and from, from virus itself kind of pushed him into, okay, well, photography, that was a, a stupid childhood interest of mine, but now I got to get serious and, and get a, go into a, a field that, you know, I can make a lot of money, um, which engineering can be, isn't always. Um, but I mean, you kind of, you see the pressure on these kids, um, from virus and from the school, but also especially from their parents. And I think that's, you know, kind of Daniel, what you, what you were talking about. And as, as a parent, you know, that's something that I'm going to hope to, I mean, my kids are still young. My, my son just turned one, my daughter's about to turn three. Um, but that'll be something that I definitely try not to do is, is force them into something um, that they're not interested. It's like, you know, like what you're saying, kind of cultivate that cur- natural curiosity that they have. Um, and then baller bill, I mean, the, the, the memorization versus organic learning kind of juxtaposition that you made there is very, very well on display in this movie. The, the scene, um, where silencer, um, the kid who takes some kind of medicine that makes him have some really nasty farts. Um, so they call him silencer. He's giving a, he's, he's the top student other than Rancho and he's giving, a he's, he's giving some kind of a speech to the whole student body and people and and like the, the high level academics within the university and probably from, you know, the, the state of India at large, I'm not really sure all who all was there, but uh, he, he, he's not a native Hindi speaker. He's from Uganda originally. He's a Ugandan Indian. Um, And so he moves to India or maybe he goes to India just to go to this school, but he's not a native Hindi speaker. Um, And so He's getting help writing this speech that he's going to give in Hindi from the librarian um, or somebody who works in the library. And uh, he gets it all, you know, polished and nice and written well. Then the as as they're going through it together, the, the librarian is like, oh, and this word means and is starting to tell him. And Silencer is just like, ah, don't worry about it. I don't care what it means. I'll memorize it. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, Rancho goes in and to mess with him does like a, a keyword search and changes all of the, he changes the word serve in the, in the Microsoft word document or whatever that they're working on to screw. And so every time he's talking about how, how much of a pub, great public servant and how he's done so much, given so much service to so many children, he's talking, he's, he's actually saying the word screw. And my friend who recommended this movie to me said that if you're a native Hindi speaker, I mean, it's funny even with subtitles, but he's like, if you were a fluent Hindi speaker since you were a child and listened and watched this movie, it is the funniest scene probably in the history of Bollywood movies. And I mean, like I said, it is really funny even without knowing Hindi, just reading the subtitles. But uh, I mean, that's kind of just goes to the, to, to, to baller bill your point there about, you know, what, education really true education is going to come from organic and natural curiosity and real learning it's not going to come from memorization because you're just going to forget it or you're going to make some kind of a stupid mistake like like silencer did in in uh in his his talk here and uh yeah you know that that reminds me when um 
a friend of mine from high school, he ended up getting engaged to a girl from Japan and their wedding was in Japan. And I went there and they asked me to perform the ceremony in Japanese. Well, I don't speak Japanese, uh, but they gave me the, uh, the little speech and it wasn't like super long. It was maybe like 20 lines or something like that. And I just wrote, memorized it. I mean, they told me what it said, but uh, I had to practice it over and over and over again. And I performed the ceremony for them, but they could have made me say anything. And uh, I, I'm thankful that they did not. But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of similar to, to you know, what happened in this movie. Um, they didn't take advantage of it, thankfully. But, uh, you know, another side of it is that, you know, I I'm very much a person who wants to know why. Like, Robert, you were talking about this earlier, where when you're learning something, it seemed like a lot of the students here were just learning it because it was that was the thing they were told to learn. And it wasn't like the how am I going to apply this or why do I need to know this? And, and what conceptually does it mean in relation to the context of other things? And I'm very much a person who wants to learn how something fits into something else. Like, why am I learning this? How will this be useful for me? And what will it do for me going forward? And similar to you, I also felt somewhat directionless out of high school. All I knew was, and, and I remember this like conversation in my head distinctly, I didn't apply to college till the last day to apply for college for um, the two schools that I even applied to. And it was just like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do. So uh, rather than like close off these pathways, I'm just going to fill out these applications so that I still have the opportunity. And so that's why I ended up going. But similar to you, I had no idea other than going to college, maybe uh, what I even wanted to do. And so college, in a way, was a way for me to just continue to not be a grown up, you know. And I feel like that sort of happened uh, over the course of time. And it used to be that the lifespan was, what, 30 years? I mean, you were having kids at like 15, 16 years old, right? In the uh, Middle Ages or whatever. Um, you know, you, you were a middle-aged man by then, like we would be long dead <laughs> right now, uh, given those lifespans. So it feels as if lifespans ha have increased. So has the opportunity to be, um, almost childlike in a certain way or infantilized. And I think that the government has an incentive to keep you infantilized, you know, sort of like in a childlike state where you're not really like feeling like you're a fully grown uh, and capable individual to make decisions on, or, on your own. Like it's best to defer to experts or to the bureaucrats uh, to give you direction in your life. And I feel like it's to their advantage. And it's also a direct offshoot of this Prussian model, which was adopted by uh, all these governments. So they yeah. propagandize you. Yeah. The government has an incentive to not necessarily turn out independent autonomous people that are capable of providing value in the world they want people that are you know need government right they dependent upon them that's that's where they get their power if if everybody just ignored them out of existence you know they wouldn't they wouldn't have jobs um government takeover of education really has created it seems to me that when you are forced to pay for something, you stop seeing it as a product and you more start seeing it as a right. Like, I think if people saw education more as a product, they would look at schools and what they offer far more critically. Like, would you really spend, you know, 200 grand 
on a gender studies degree, you might look at it, you know, like you're talking about as being a more infantilized person. And I, I was definitely an infantilized person. I really didn't have much of a concept of what I was paying for in terms of an education and what it was going to get me. I didn't have that perspective. Now, maybe that's where parents come in and they're like, yeah, you're, you're wasting your time here. You're wasting your time and your money. You should, you know, you should uh, pursue something a little more interesting. And, and the movie, the movie presents, you know, parents as kind of the bad guys. I mean, obviously they love their children and they want to see them do well, but they do present them as these pressures and then virus and the schooling system is a yet another pressure. And Rancher kind of pushes back on this. And he's talking about why, you know, suicide is so high in India. And yeah, these, these cultures that have massive pressures also have massive suicide rates, like in Japan and India, they have massive suicide rates. And there is a lot of competition for these degrees. Now, I'm a big fan of competition. And I think that, you know, I know, Daniel, you were talking about how it's a bad thing to, you know, display, you know, how well you did in a school, you know, for everybody to see. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. In the movie, there's this school photo where Rancho's like, you know, why do you have the, the bad students up at the top and you got, you know, the good students closer to you? And I'm kind of on the side of virus on that issue. I'm not 100%. I, I see Rancho's point. I see how it's kind of creating this artificial kind of competition where learning should be more of a pure you, like a relationship of you with the world, right? Like you and the material. But ultimately, we are going to be competing in the real world. And how well you apply and use your time should kind of reflect on how well you do. like. Someone who just, you know, jacks off all day and spanks it to different porno mags probably shouldn't be getting the 4.0 grades and shouldn't be. Whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. I feel personally attacked here. Yeah, probably. Probably you do. I mean, there are gonna, a few people that are going to be able to do that and still do well. I probably could have done a little bit of that in high school. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I was not the hardest worker and yet i mean i was i had a fair amount of natural talent uh that i exploited but again i wasn't engaged like you guys also were not i think this is a common refrain that we were not necessarily felt engaged with the content we were provided right now i, I just want to take off on one of the points you're making and and take it uh from the other angles so you're talking about how um when you're forced to pay for something you view it less as a service or, or you care less about like what you're getting for your money and you see that in um you know like how medical procedures the prices can just go up and up and up because insurance kind of buffers you from uh experiencing the cost of that so there's less consumer pressure on the prices um being lower and the quality being better but the flip side is that when you're a service provider of, say, education services, and you're going to get paid no matter what by force, then you have less incentive to do a very good job. Sure, you have certain standards that you have to meet, but there's way to gain. There's ways to game that. There's ways to 
meet those standards and then not be a good teacher or not do a good of a service as would otherwise be in an actual free market competitive marketplace where you're going to have a variety of different options to consumers and you have to be an option that somebody is willing to pay for voluntarily. Um, and where there are competitive pressures, where there's other options for people. So, you know, you can be a specialist. Like that was another thing you started talking about earlier. Specialization is very important in driving forward progress in society. And specialization is what allows you to have the division of labor so that you can focus on being very, very good and competent at a very narrow field and focus on that one area rather than being this um, jack of all trades, master of none kind of situation, which yeah, there's a certain like desire to be competent in many things, but there's only so much capacity and so much time in the day and so much training and practice and learning that anyone can do about uh, so many different subjects and aspects um, that you know are part of the natural world that you have to have specialization to get uh, to the point where you're good enough uh, to, to progress things going forward. So I, f I feel like yeah. I'm sort of rambling here, but um, I guess my main point was that when you are forcing customers to pay for something, uh, you have less incentive to do a, as good of a job um, and, and you're protected from other you know, competitors competing with you, making similar products or better products or lower cost products uh, that you are you know, not faced with in a uh, monopolized situation like this. Yeah, I don't think it's any mystery as to why the public school teacher unions were pro lockdown pro shut the schools down where the private school teachers were like um i'm sorry we need to still work we still gotta still gotta teach these kids something but um yeah jared i don't know when you graduated but when i graduated we we had a, a fair amount we were like crammed for the sats and that kind of thing but later on in my life i got involved with some public school teachers well actually it was the technology department at a public school and so kind of by osmosis i gleaned a little bit about how education is going on these days or at least five years ago i imagine i don't imagine it's getting better but standardized testing had been a thing had been implemented since i graduated but now it's a thing and it was it would take up like months of the kids time just studying for these standardized tests like every year. It was insane. I don't know. I don't think it starts until what middle school or something, or maybe even high school. But can you imagine like two, three months out of the school year, you're just cramming for this one test so that the school can show, hey, look at us. We did X amount good on this one test. Let's get our funding as if this is what passes for education these days. Oh, I mean, it's, it's is that good. the is that the no child left behind stuff that Funding was tied to probably. test results into George W. Bush era. Yeah, probably it's still going on. It's that's when it, that's when it really got ramped up to to what it is now and today, and what what Baller Bill is referring to. Um, it's uh, I graduated in '05 from high school, so that was kind of just becoming a thing as I was graduating. But I mean, it, we we've we've brought up the wire uh, on this show before in the past. And that that show really speaks to this point that you're making very well in terms of teaching to the test and like uh, um, the guy who was a cop and then became a teacher, Prez Belusky, he uh, 
in that show, he's finally figured out a way to actually get through to these inner city kids. And he's teaching them, uh, you know, things that they're interested in. He's teaching them math by teaching them gambling and like probabilities and dice, um, and, uh, things like that. So he's, he's finally figured out how to get through these kids and get their attention. And they're actually learning something. And then all of a sudden, word comes down from on high that, hey, you know, the test is coming up. Everybody better be teaching to this test because that's where all of our funding comes from. Um, and so anything that's outside of the outside of the box or outside of the standard curriculum or outside of the contents of what the standardized test is going to be has to get shut down. So Presbolewski goes from having this, you know, finally breaking through to this very um, inner city, very rough uh, school students and then has to give it all up. And then, you know, they're shown sleeping in class again and cutting, cutting class and uh, getting involved in the drug trade, et cetera, et cetera, because what they're learning in school is no longer speaking to their world. Um, and, you know, I guess I, I, real quick, I just wanted to, Daniel, you were talking about John Taylor Gatto there for a second, ever your whole, your whole description and, and your, um, kind of how the way you explained who he is and what he stood for was, was excellent. I did want to just make the point real quick that he didn't just quit being a teacher. He like epically quit. He did one of those like, you know, you're cool. You're cool. F you I'm out type things and wrote like a whole big thing in the New York times. And was like, you know, the public school system sucks and all our kids are screwed unless we start doing it a completely different way. Um, and he's, uh, and then he just wrote books about all of the the history that he had learned in terms of where the American school system came from, um, but yeah, John Taylor Gatto is one of those one of those OG kind of um, people in the libertarian world. He uh, he is the man when it comes to being against public schooling and, and government control of schools. And I'm glad you did start bringing up the 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 teacher unions too, because it's not just the fact that these public schools are monopolies and people are forced to pay for them. It's also that the bad teachers can't be fired. Um, they, 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 you know, if you're in a union, the whole purpose of the union is to protect the employees at the expense of the company. In this case, the company is a government funded monopoly and at the expense of the clients. And again, the clients are innocent kids uh, who have, you know, n- no, no say in all of that. Yeah, and the parents are forced to pay for it, and, and the parents the kids are forced to go there. Yeah, yeah, and they're forced to sit through bad teaching in some cases, uh, and you know those teachers just get raises right along with everybody else, and get pensions right along with everybody else. So it's a, it's a system that definitely perpetuates um, mediocrity. Yeah, uh, anytime the market mediocrity at best. Yeah. Anytime the market is interfered with, like you remove all the controls that that customers and consumers have to to reward good actors and punish bad actors, you're going to get these people that coast through with uh, protection. Like, yeah, how much how much should a bad teacher make? How much would you pay a bad teacher to teach your kid? Like, bring back the the private tutor system. You know, it's like yeah, but they're insulated. Hire this guy. Yeah, they're insulated from the, the 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 cost mechanism, you know, like feeling the price they're paying for a specific good or service, you know, and, and that disconnect makes it easier for 
those, you know, poor services to continue to get funded. I mean, yeah, it's by force, yeah. but also like there's that lack of connection, you know, like when we talked about the cat earlier, we spent a bunch of money with the vet the last couple of months. And yeah, we're willing to pay for it because, you know, we loved our animal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it starts to add up, you know, and, and then you're starting to like think about these decisions and whether you're willing to continue to go on. Well, when it comes to schooling like this, you don't have that connection anymore. There's no like questioning, like, are, are we paying too much? When is too much, you know, when, or, or how do we, um, you know, find an, an alternative, right? Because like when you homeschool and that's one of the silver linings of the, the pandemic is that more and more kids are homeschooling. So there's, that's growing a lot, but traditionally when you would homeschool or do private school or private tutoring, you're effectively paying twice because you're having to pay for the public schooling, government schooling by force. And then on top of that, pay either monetarily or with your time and labor and uh, acquiring the resources and, you know, teaching implements, et cetera, for your kids uh, for homeschooling uh, on top of that. So, you know, it's really like a really screwed up uh, situation. And um, uh, speaking to uh, John Taylor Gatto and our kids, um, there is a book, a series of books for kids called the Tuttle Twins and our girls love it. Um, we read it to them at least a book or uh, a, every day or two. And we do the golden rule one a lot because um, when they fight, we um, like to try to <laughs> re correct that with the, the golden rule one. But the, one of the more recent ones is um, called the Tuttle Twins and the Education Vacation. And it's about different learning models and it features John Taylor Gatto very prominently in it. And uh, he talks about like how grading affects students and uh, their perceptions of themselves and how they perform going forward and how people have different learning styles and how getting out in the world and traveling around, you'll actually learn a lot more than sitting in a room. Uh, it's a similar point that uh, Robin Williams character makes in Goodwill Hunting. Like, yeah, you can recite all these things you learn in books, but can you tell me what the Sistine Chapel smells like? You know, that's another movie we should do at some point, I think, Robert. I don't know if it'll hold up, though. I remember really liking that 20, 25 years ago. I bet you it's like hold I'd up. Hate it. It'll, it'll yeah. hold up. It's I an excellent you. movie. I just saw it again recently. It's very, very good. Really? Yeah, and that okay. relationship yeah. between Williams's character is is so strong that I think. Yeah, and Robin Williams was so good in that movie. Okay. Yeah, he deserved I, his uh, Oscar in that. I haven't seen it in probably over ten years, but just recollecting it, I feel like I'd hate it <laughs> now for whatever reason. So not we'll maybe. See. We'll find out. We will find out. Oh, we will. We will oh, see. But oh, anyway, uh, the Tuttle Twins, highly recommended. I'll put a, a affiliate link on the show notes page. And I know, uh, Jared, you have one as well. So uh, you can go to ours uh, at lastnighters.com and click the link there. Or, Jared, I could put your uh, link on there as well. And people can uh, pick whichever one they want to do. No, um, this is your show. You guys, you guys do your thing. Don't worry about it. But uh, it's really good. I, I do enjoy it uh, quite a bit. It's um, They're written by uh, Connor Boyack. And uh, he does the Libertas Institute in uh, Ida or in Utah. And then the, um, the illustrator is really good too. His name's Elijah Stanfield. And they're doing a comic or sorry, a um, cartoon series uh, coming out soon too. Yeah, I was going to say they're starting to, they're, they're going to be an empire here soon. They got like a board game and they're, they're, they're introducing books for like toddlers and, and babies, you know, like touch and feel type books. Yeah, um, and they've got the the animated series that you're talking about. They've got books for for teenagers. Um, they've got companion books, like so for, you know, I, I've I, it's become a habit of mine to to buy these books and give them to my 
non-libertarian friends to read to their kids because they it's not just the books that come but you get like uh parent guides that go along with the book um and even if they didn't come with the parent guides the books themselves would do a very good job of even teaching an adult you know about freedom and economics and etc and you know and peace and non-aggression and all that good stuff um but you know you combine the these parent guides with them and the, the recommended readings, you know, like, uh, uh, Bastiat's the law, uh, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really great tool, um, that, that Connor has, has put together. It's, it's an excellent addition to the, the, the libertarian movement world. Um, and yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I recommend those books wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have actually have gifted them to a few people who are, um, not necessarily uh, pro liberty minded, at least in in our respect. Uh, and I wonder how how they take these books when they read them. I haven't asked them, but uh, it would be kind of interesting to to hear. Hey, but, I gave I gave this set to a former coworker of mine, and uh, he said that they were he was reading the the books every night with he's got the well him and his wife between the two of them between a couple of uh, divorces they have seven kids. Oh. Um, and so they, they were reading those books all together and like the older kids were reading them to the younger kids, et cetera. And so the, the uh, he told, he came into work one day and he told me that he had been joking around the weekend before with his, one of the, one of the older daughters um, about like, Oh, how come, how come we're having so much trouble paying for X, Y, and Z? How, how you know, why, why, uh, why are we struggling with, with money um, or whatnot? And I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, She's like, why are we, why are we so poor? And the daughter was like, because of the creature, <laughs> referring to the the creature from Jekyll Island. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. My my kids say a lot of stuff that uh, I'm happy that they say, but I'm afraid that they would say it in front of the wrong person, and then <laughs> those people get really mad at me. <laughs> Let them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I don't. I think this was the last. The last episode we did, I don't know, there, um, but we I, I brought up the, I, the the fact that like these these public schools and even really a lot of universities don't need to exist anymore. Like information is free, like a hundred percent. You can find anything you want about anything, and all you have to do is have a an internet connection. Uh, um, actually, this this just in. Um, I'm going to fact check that and tell you not anymore because things are being throttled and censored uh, like you wouldn't believe in the last couple of You're right about that. You're right about that. Um, I mean, but yeah, this for the time being it's, it's, for it's the, yeah, right now it's, it's not quite ever China been. yet. Information yeah, but, has, is the cheapest it's ever been. Yeah. Che- I mean, information and communication are two, um, two areas of the economy that, the supply has gone up infinitely and the cost has do- come down infinitely. Um, and it kind of, spe- you know, this movie was 10 years ago. So this was uh, as the internet was, was building up, but it, I guess it wasn't quite to where it is now. And so Rancho, remember that, that, that little kid who helps them with their luggage and kind of shows them the way. Millimeter, or centimeter, yeah, millimeter centimeter, whatever his name is. He, uh, He's like, man, I wish I had money to go to this school or something like that. And Rancho's like, oh, you don't, you don't need money to go to school. You, you, all you need is a uniform. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's how Rancho even got to this point at all to begin with. Is that he was being like a servant to some very rich family, 
and ended up just going to the son of that rich family's classes in the son's place and doing really well because he was really interested. And then the family was like, well, if you've come this far, you got to go the rest of the way. And basically had Rancho go get an engineering degree from this very prestigious university for their son without their son ever having to go. So Rancho isn't even Rancho's real name. And I forget what his real name is. It comes out at the end of the movie. But um, yeah, so I just found that part of it interesting. I mean, that whole, you don't need money. All you need is a uniform. It's cool in terms of education. In the movie, it did kind of get used for some nefarious purposes too. Like they broke into a party you know, because they, they wore the, the clothing that was associated with that party and they ended up eating food and uh, that wasn't theirs, that they hadn't been gifted, that they hadn't been offered, that they hadn't paid for. Um, so, I mean, there is a little bit of that in the movie, but uh, in terms of the education, in terms of millimeter, and, you know, it's even, even you know, let's say we thought that higher education and modern American universities were, were the shit. Well, still you can go and like, I think it's, I think it's MIT has all of their lectures available for free mm-hmm. online. I believe so, Harvard does as well. Yeah. I think a lot of them do. Um, you know, so that kind of just continues to go like really the only reason to go to university these days is to get that piece of paper. Um, you know, the education is, is available outside of that. Um, I mean, there might be some good mentoring that can take place on, you know, especially for engineering or medicine or law or something like that. But for just about anything else, you can find everything that you need to know just, you know, doing a simple Google search. Yeah, doing in-person labs is one thing that you really can't replicate a whole lot. But for most everything else, um, yeah, I, I love your point that these these higher learning institutions and even a lot of public high schools and that sort of thing are just these vestigial organs that are being propped up with government money. And this push for making college free is just going to further devalue those degrees that they get. And I, I would love to see just a real pure market mechanism to even see how much the public even values these things. Like I know, there's a, there's a certain amount of inertia to these things. Like, hey, I went to college. It was great for me. You know, I want my kid to go to college. But for people, you know, if, if, if college actually cost, you know, probably what it should, I don't know, whatever that is. But you might, you might see people making more informed decisions. Like, what are you actually going to get out versus, you know, what you're putting in. And with the cost of information being so low, what am I really even doing? And like, you know, maybe we go back more towards a, you know, trade school type situation, like with doctors and specializing schooling and this general crap just kind of gets shortened, maybe hopefully to just a few years. And yeah, this move into the more specialized areas because uh, yeah, I, I just, the, the whole move from the leftists, to socialize even the higher education and making it quote free really just seems to be propping up their ideology and just spreading their ideology. And it's, 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 it's a nightmare. Let, leave it, leave it open to the public, leave it open to the market and we'll find out how much people actually value their crap ideas. Yeah. I love that their reasoning is that you didn't learn enough 
in the previously uh, provided government schooling. So it's a, like an admission of failure. Absolutely. And so they're just like doubling down. It's like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't teach these kids. Yeah. There's a, a tweet I saw recently. Public education has not created an educated public. That's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Well, hey, I uh, we're actually way over time already, so we should probably do any final comments before we get into final summary and review. And I'll go to you, Jared. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I guess that the 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 payoff of the movie, the the main feel good part of the movie is Rancho at the end. He's he's built himself. He's he's created this this school. That's very. It seems very Montessori-like, and it seems very hands-on type learning. And he's 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 embodied that 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 phrase uh, that a lot of people like to put on social media, of, you know, or wherever of "be the change that you want to see in the world." And he complained um, in the beginning a lot about the school system and the pressure and the grading um, and the the hierarchy of it and the the labeling. And he didn't like it, and he figured out a way to 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 work around it. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more prevalent these days. I mean, like Daniel, like you brought up, homeschooling is really really taking off here um, as the, the the primary silver lining to 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 the germ. And uh, and I mean, with things like like the Tuttle Twins and the Ron Paul curriculum and Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom, um, which you should put affiliate links of all of those for for yourself in the show notes page here, and all of the listeners should go and buy those things um, because a I mean they're awesome, but you're also helping out a, a couple of great guys here with with a cool um, cool podcast that sh- that you guys are entertained with all the time. Um, but I just wanted to uh, uh, just real quick, I mean. I mean, I have a story that, of myself that I want to tell, but before I get into that, I did want to kind of ask you guys what you thought about uh, Rancho and the the love interest aspect of the movie and how he breaks up this uh, this this engagement by basically pointing out that all this guy cares about is the fact that his fiance is going to be a doctor and they're going to have a lot of money and he's got three hundred dollar Italian leather hand stitched shoes and et cetera, et cetera. I thought. I thought that whole plot line within the movie was that's where some comedy came in is, is how Rancho kind of made that guy look like a chump. Um, but I was wondering, I don't know. I thought, I, was, I don't know if there's anything libertarian at all in, in that plot line, but I mean, I guess ruining somebody else's $300 shoes is not that nice, but pointing out to a fiance, what she's actually getting into is kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of nice on the other hand. So, yeah, I know, Robert, you've got a rant in you. I know you've talked about this before, about how women are looking for providers. And so, like, seeing somebody who's successful and can't provide is an attractive uh, characteristic or feature that is often looked for. Uh, and even though, and you know, Rancho does demonstrate to her that she is just being treated as a trophy by this guy who only cares about how much something costs or whatever. So um, even after that's demonstrated and she does call off the engagement, a few years later, she comes back to the guy. So I thought I thought that part was the most interesting was that she went back to him after this revelation and then knows what she's getting into and is still willing to do it. But Robert, I'll let you let you I'm gonna let you finish. Yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of an issue with 
um, Rancho kind of spending, you know, he kind of did the Sherlock Holmes moment, right? Where he saw her and met her for like a minute and instantly correctly diagnosed her whole life, right? Because she was like, I saw that you had that old watch and that was obviously your mom's old watch that you cared about very much and he didn't appreciate that old watch and how does that make you feel? Um, it was a bit um, easy, you know, plot contrivances, you know, the romance needs to happen. Um, I, you know, you you kind of have the, the guy was kind of a cartoon, like the, the 80s ski villain, right? That's just like this very shallow jock kind of guy that is so clearly clueless that he doesn't know that he's an asshole, that he is so, so cardboard cut out of a person. Um, and the, uh, Daniel, you got a good point though. I like that, 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 um, you know, the, the lady women do value providers. Absolutely. And, and that is ultimately, you know, kind of the male role in the division of labor of the sexes that the woman is going to be out of it, you know, while she's pregnant for a good amount of time and isn't going to be able to be a good provider during that time. And, you know, the man is generally more expendable and he needs to be able to provide to contribute to that relationship to provide and create this successful partnership, right. To, to progress the human race. So I don't really have an issue with women choosing people's providers. You know, that's, you, you have your preferences, and, you know, if you've got, you know, you got this hot 25 year old sexy body and, you know, that's what, you know, a, a, a successful male finds attractive and you've got that hip to waist ratio. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not one to necessarily critique other people's choices in that regard. You have your preferences. They're yours. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Rancho, on the other hand, is OK with telling you you're wrong and saying that, hey, look, you don't really like this guy. You're, you're smart. You really want a more interested, you know, a deeper pool to dive around and play around in. And I'm that deeper pool. Although it doesn't really come out and say it. I, for one, enjoyed the romance, even if it was a bit hokey and movie E, you know, but it, it, I was fully on board. I, in fact, I appreciated it. Um, I haven't really watched a whole lot of romantic comedies, you know, um, Lately, I, I don't know what the state of romantic comedies are. My big romantic comedies were like You've Got Mail and, um, you know, those Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks movies from the 80s and 90s. Um, where I thought that the romance was fairly, fairly well written. Uh, here, it's a little bit hokey, but I was on board. Um, from a libertarian angle, I don't know if that guy like represented like capitalism and maybe like a shallow consumerist. Whereas, you know, Rancho is the true entrepreneur. Rancho is the purest, actually, of all entrepreneurs because he is just street, you know, he's just looking to create life, you know, time-saving innovations and to create things that people will value and love and treasure and will make people's lives better. He is just like the purest of entrepreneurs. So I can't say that this movie is has any kind of anti-capitalist message. If anything, it's very, very pro-capitalism. So, yeah, there's uh, that one, there's that one dig at Marx where he borrows um, Silencer's pants or steals them, and he's like, "Well, remember Marx said uh, 
share know? everything. Yeah. Yeah. From he who has to he who needs. <laughs> but it was almost yeah. like a, a quippy kind of way. But I think you're right that um, Rancho has an unconventional way of thinking, but he is also very much in the trying to innovate and trying to be entrepreneurial in a lot of, a lot of different ways. And he also has a very entrepreneurial kind of concept in his whole all is well thing. I mean, yeah, they use it as a vehicle for getting the baby to like kick and, and then revive later, but it's um, I forget whose quote it is per se, but uh, maybe it's Henry Ford who says, whether you think you can or you can't either way, you're right. Because mindset plays a big role in whether you, can accomplish something. If you think you can do it, you can push yourself beyond what you are aware of. You know, like you can push your body further than you think you can. It's mind over matter kind of thing. And I think that that really is embodied in his whole all is well thing where he's telling himself, he's calming himself down so he can take on challenging and frightening situations. And uh, he does that many times in the film. And I think that's another part of his, uh, his message. And it ties right in with the entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, so that's my final note I wanted to bring in before we get into final summary review. Wait, I wanted are... to hear Jared's Jared's story. Oh, yep, Jared's yeah, it's, story. It's actually, I've never actually put this out publicly. Um, people who are close to me know this, but uh, it was it's kind of just a story for if there's any listeners who are about to to go to college or thinking about going to college. This is kind of my story from college a little bit. Is I I got to college after, you know, my, my senior year of high school of not giving a crap. And that very strongly spilled over into college. And uh, I would go to class, you know, in the beginning of the semester and listen to my professors and oh, I, I get it. I don't, I, I get it. I don't, and then I would just stop going to class or go very rarely. Um, and I did horrible in college. I, and then come, come uh, my senior year, my spring semester senior year so my final semester in college i needed to pass all six or it might have even been seven classes that i was taking that semester i needed to pass all of them in order to graduate and sure enough it gets to the end of the semester and i failed two of those classes so i was like freaking out because i i had managed to convince my parents to let me stay in college you know when i should have dropped out much earlier and i stayed in because i had made some really good friends and um, had developed some really strong connections um, and enjoyed the people. But it, the only reason I stayed in college was was uh, was was for social reasons. But anyway, so I failed those two classes my spring semester senior year, and I ended up just going to one of them was an economics class and one of them was an engineering class. And so I went to my economics professor. I was just like, "What can I do to get me bumped up to a D?" Um, and he was like, well, if you do all of the homework that you didn't do for the whole semester this weekend and bring it to me on Monday, I'll bump you up to a D. So I did that. I spent the entire weekend doing just stupid, you know, economics 101 homeworks and brought it in. So I bumped that from an F up to a D. Well, then I still had one more class that I had failed. Fortunately, my college had this policy in place where if it's just one class that would be preventing you from graduating, you can take what's called an F test where it's like a one-time exam that you take for that class. And if you pass, then you pass the test class. And if you fail, then you fail the class. So I just, I spent about a week with my professor and going to study classes and, and studying on my own. And I managed to pass that, that test and was able to, to, to graduate with like a, I don't know, I graduated college with like a, 
a 1.5 or some some shit GPA. It was terrible. Like, but I, you know, the those friendships and those relationships that I mentioned that I had been building. I had a job waiting for me the Wednesday. I graduated on a Saturday, and I started a new. I started my first job on the Wednesday after graduating, and it was because I had, you know, I had put some effort into to making friends with people, and I had um, worked hard within. I had joined a, a fraternity, um, and a lot of the alumni were appreciative of some of the things that I had done with and for the fraternity, and so one of the old, you know, 1970s fraternity alumni who was a VP at some company in New Jersey gave me my first job. Um, and it was not, it was not on my, uh, academic merits by any means. It wasn't on my GPA. It was on my, the relationship that I had built. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, I guess there's that story to college. Um, and I guess kind of just like a, a buyer beware type story, but I mean, I also went to college and I'm, gonna guess i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this is probably true for the both of you too um, but i didn't really understand what i was getting into in terms of all the student loans that i was taking out and what interest was and the fact that okay i'm gonna take out all these loans okay fine i'll get a good job and i'll pay them back well it's not quite so easy um you know it takes ends up taking a long time to pay back loans and interest makes them very expensive you know, you're paying about half each month that I pay. And so and, and the last student loan I have left is it's almost half interest, um, which makes it really frustrating to see the, you know, you, knowing how much you're paying for these student loans and seeing how slowly your principal is going down. So, I mean, I think that's another failure of the public school system is that, you know, we don't really graduate with an understanding of economics or finance or interest or loans or investing or entrepreneurship or anything like that. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I kind of look back on my college years, almost, it's almost kind of a funny story now more than anything. Um, but it's still at the time it sucked. I mean, even to to this day, I still occasionally have dreams where I'm freaking out that, Oh crap, I'm not going to pass. Like, what am I going to do? Like it was a very, very tense and frustrating and, and, uh, um, difficult time that that spring semester of my senior year of college. But uh, I mean, hey, everything has worked out. So I guess I wouldn't really change things. I mean, I guess I, what I would change is that, you know, what Daniel, what you said, I would probably go down the route of the the trade school or apprenticeship um, and not go into debt, you know, develop a skill right from the very beginning and not go into debt for that skill. Um, and that's what I would recommend to just about anybody these days. I mean, my, my I got a, a brother of mine who was in the Marines, and when he got out of the Marines, he kind of bounced around to a number of different jobs, and he finally went to lineman school about four years ago. And now he's been he's been a lineman you know, for for four years, and you know there's there's issues with with the way the power lines and the electrical grids and the utility companies and the unionized labor for, for, for linemen, how all that works and all the government bullshit associated with that. But still leaving all that aside, he's got a, a good paying job because he's got a real skill that's really valuable. Um, and it took a while to find that. And what I guess my hope would be to help kids these days not to take so long to, to find that. I think uh, the, the earlier people can figure that out, the better. Yeah, I think that was Rancho's message is find out what your talent is and then uh, 
you know, have true joy in it and, and be good at it, whatever you have that aptitude and joy for, and then the success will find you. And it's a nice story. Um, I'm still kind of looking for what, <laughs> what I'm good at. Um, you know, I've just kind of like continued on. Uh, I figured out how to do a similar thing that I did in high school in college where I was a TA and I figured out the right professors to take and the right classes to take. And I ended up getting honors in that. But my first, my first quarter in college was also like a rude awakening where my grades were like under what I was used to with the amount of effort that I usually, usually would uh, extend or expend into uh, whatever I was doing. But I, I turned it around and figured it out by, um, by the time I graduated, but I still going out of college, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and, and in some ways I still don't know what I want to do. Like I have a job and it pays me fairly well and lets me do it from here. And so this whole um, lockdown stuff hasn't affected me, uh, in that way, you know, in that regard, I was already kind of doing this here. And so I'm one of those privileged, um, folks that still has like an income and, and, and a way to uh, provide for my family. Um, but I am also very much against the lockdowns and the whole concept of it, but Anyway, uh, yeah, point being, still not sure what I want to do when I grow up, even though I'm uh, a mid-40s uh, fucking white male. Sounds like we need to get a final summary interview, and I am very curious to hear what Daniel's review is, since you thought I was going to hate this film, and it turned out I did not. Does that mean that you hated it? Oh, boy. Well, let's get into Final Summer in Review. And and I'll just say I did not hate this film, though. I think it was definitely longer than it needed to be. And I don't know if that's just uh, one of the attributes of it being a Bollywood film. Um, are all, Jared, maybe you can tell me, are, are Bollywood films in general, like, lengthy? And is there a particular reason why they might be? I know that a lot of people will view movies as, like, a, an escape from their um, daily lives. And so perhaps having... Uh, movies that are extra long and full of song and dance and, and these types of stories uh, is part of what they are. Um, but it seemed like they were padding <laughs> for time uh, quite a bit in this one. Um, and then I'll get into my review. But do you know, is, is Bollywood film, are they generally longer than typical U.S.-based films? That's a good question. I, I don't think I've seen another Bollywood film other than this one. Have you seen Slumdog Millionaire? I think that was kind of a Bollywood movie. I have seen that movie. I thought it was Hollywood, um, but I could be wrong about that. Is it also Although, long, extra long? I, I remember watching, but I don't know. If I don't remember it being long. overly long. Um, I, yeah, thought, I, I remember it being a good movie. I liked it a lot. I, I do remember there being a couple of like song and dance routines in it, though. so that kind of tells me that it's a Bollywood movie. Um, but no, Daniel, to answer your question, I don't think they're normally that long, but I do think, you know, that the song and dance probably, um, that, that probably added at least a 30 minutes into, into this movie that we're talking about. Yeah. And I was kind of okay with the, the song and dance stuff, but yeah, I, I think that there probably is like a good two hour movie in this. I mean, it's a fine movie as it is, but it does go very, very slow. I do like the whole Rancho character and his ideas challenging conventional thinking, challenging conventional schooling methods and identifying pressures that are driving people to suicide and suicidal ideation. Uh, and his ideas of having um, joy in what you do and becoming really good at it, specializing in something, and then the success will find you. I do like his ideas of um, telling yourself that you can get through difficult times um, by doing this all is well thing. You can calm yourself down. You can 
will yourself to do something. You can do this mind over matter thing, you know, the, whether you think you can or you can't either way you're right. Um, so overall, I think it's a really good movie. And I, I think that it is a cutting critique of the one size fits all top down educational approach. And it's also a bit of a coming age story. So uh, overall, I think it has a really strong message. It has philosophical questions regarding learning and becoming what you would like to be in your life. And uh, for that, I give it uh, really good, really good, uh, big, good ups and feels and stuff. So I'm going to give it an 8.0 on this, Robert. Uh, what is your take on my take? Idiots out of 10. Idiots out of 10. Okay. Um, you know, I think it... I'm not exactly sure why it's so long, but this is just one guess in that it had... I, I can imagine being a screenwriter and having all these, you want to make like the, the screenwriter in a, in a typical Hollywood movie, they, it, it might be this long, but then the, you know, the production and like the, the producers and, you know, the money guys would come in and they'd be like, well, this scene is way too expensive. We're just going to cut this. And then the writer's like pulling his hair out going, well, how am I going to make the story fit? you know, with the scene cut, because in this scene, you know, X happens and then that leads to the next scene and blah, 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 blah. And so then you just get like these plot holes in a lot of Hollywood movies, but they're nice and short and they're concise. And it's when one movie happens where you see like a 90 minute concise, perfect movie that, you know, makes sense all the way through. Where in this film, they were so diligent with setting up and paying all, you know, setting up all the plot points and paying off all the plot points and they didn't cut out any of the setups that, that maybe that's what contributed to the runtime. That's what it, it seems to me. And then there's probably also some extraneous, you know, character work that probably could have can compressed into some scenes. So I do think that there's like a, you know, maybe a two to two and a half hour or two hour and 20 minute cut that I think gets like a nine. But in this, I think this version for me is like an 8.5. Still really, really strong. I, I enjoyed all the you know, I think thinking back now to Slumdong Millionaire, that was like the whole plot was, you know, how does this character know all the answers to these questions? And it was basically, you know, well, this is why. And it, it was basically why his how does this poor kid know all these weird ass, weird ass trivia? And it's like, well, this is the story of his life. And so it shows the setup and then the payoff. So it maybe it's a, the style of storytelling in Bollywood films. I, I don't know enough about it, but it seems to be that they are more interested in telling a coherent story than in trimming the runtime to 90 minutes. So maybe th that's just a, a, a decision that's made there that they, that's what they value more where, where Americans are more about, no, 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 no. I get it. Just, just give me my 90 minute movie. I'll get in. I'll, I won't, I won't think about it. I'll just enjoy it for 90 minutes and then I'll get out maybe the, the the Indian audiences are more about, no, I want the story to actually be coherent and make sense. So I can appreciate that as a, as a film critic, that's, I wish more movies would do that. And, and since we're going to watch what, like a three and a half hour movie next week that the, 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 the theatrical cut was butchered down to what, two hours or something. And yeah, supposedly and it's a total shit show. Yeah, whereas if you no watch, sense. right. If you watch the actual director's cut, where all the these important scenes weren't cut out, it actually makes sense. Yes, it's way too long, but you're not cutting out important information that the audience needs in order to follow the story. So, long story short, 
Uh, fantastic film. Highly recommended. Thank you, Jared. Uh, obviously, this is a movie that didn't get a lot of push. Did hardly like zero uh, fanfare uh, over here in the West. I never even heard about it. Everyone I tell about this movie had never heard of it before. So yeah, get out there, check it out, and tell your friends about it if you enjoyed it. Um, I highly encourage people to watch this and support these kind of creations because I think I would enjoy more movies like this. Uh, not just comedies, romantic comedies, Bollywood movies with singing and dancing, but coherent stories <laughs> that that are not afraid to extend the runtime, even though I do think they were a little bit long and I wish the movie had a little bit stronger start. I think it is slow for the first half an hour and there's a little bit of bloat, but overall I can't really com- criticize it too much because it is so good. Robert, let me ask you this. Have you seen this show? Speaking of slow starts and bloat. I, I, I've only listened to one episode and it was pretty good, but I wasn't on it. So that's probably why it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Uh, yeah. So uh, eight and a half idiots from Robert, eight idiots from me. So Jared, let's get your final summary interview and your number of idiots uh, out of 10. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'll give it eight and a half idiots uh, right along there with, with a uh, baller bill. Um, I actually just, while you were talking there, I pulled up the top Bollywood movies of all time on IMDb and three idiots comes in at number six and three of the five movies that are rated higher than it are longer than it. One of these movies is 321 minutes. How many? Five hours and 20 minutes. Wow. Okay. So it is a feature, not a bug. All right. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a part of Bollywood. I mean, every single one of them is at least two hours long. The, the shortest one is 134 minutes. So two hours and 15 minutes, um, which isn't crazy. But yeah, 321 minutes, 165 minutes, 189 minutes. Okay. Um, they love the screenwriter. Yeah. And, yes. And I got to say, there is something satisfying about having the setups pay off and having so many of them happen to where it like stands out to us, you know, because we're so used to being let down with all this, all the setups with no payoff. Yeah. Or the random payoff that was like, well, why did that happen? <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember we were watching uh, The Purge and I was like, yeah, they could have done this or this or this and it would have been great, you know, would have done a great callback or whatever. And, and so great premise, lots of, opportunity and opportunities missed and it seems like yeah this is the opposite where it's like every opportunity they took so much so that they made it super long yep yeah amir khan the the guy who plays rancho he's like he's like the brad pitt or i don't know the the bradley cooper of india so he's in a large number of these you know top bollywood movies that i'm scrolling through here mm. but uh, yeah so he's a, he's a superstar over there um what's and this this has nothing to do with anything that we talked about on the episode today but what's interesting in indian culture is that from what i gather it's a fairly racist culture and i might get in trouble for for saying this but they definitely prefer light-skinned indians over dark-skinned indians Um, like in their films in their films and in like I think just in fashion industries or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think like most of the, any, any advertising industry. And I mean, in terms of I mean, I haven't studied this, um, but just in some conversation with some, some Indian, Indian people that I'm 
friends with or got to know over the years and just from you know watching these movies you hardly ever see i mean faran is probably the guy the kid who played faran um i'm not sure who it is the silencer guy he's pretty he's uh, kind of dark you know, not silencer know. the uh the guy who the the photographer with the glasses um, mm-hmm. yeah he's he's like the darkest that i've seen scrolling through here and he's still fairly light-skinned um mm-hmm. I've heard similar things about like uh, tele- telenovelas in Mexico. Like almost mm-hmm. all of the actors and actresses are lighter skin compared to, you know, you go to Mexico and you just see, you know, the average person there. Yeah. That doesn't exactly line up with the real demographics of India. And, you know, like you're saying, like, like Mexico, um, I just figured I'd put that out there since we're still talking. <laughs> and that was something that I had thought about. Yeah, um, I mean, it probably should have been bonus content because now, now we're gonna somebody's gonna be super big mad. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should have been bonus content. I, I forgot about that. Uh, no, anyway. That's right. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's that. I, I I I really liked Silencer's character. I thought he was hilarious. Um, even though he was supposed to be kind of like the villain of the movie, I, he was one of my probably my behind Ran- I mean, everybody's gonna love Rancho just because he's the man, but. Um, Silencer was was hilarious. I, 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 lo- I really liked his character. He brought a lot of um, comic relief to the movie. <laughs> uh, his his farts um, were were quite glorious, and uh, you know they, they had they had put uh, gas. They like put caution tape over the door to his dorm room and called it a gas chamber. And uh, he's always blaming it on other people. You know, he, he does the, S, the, the silent, but deadlies and then blames it on Raju. Um, speaking of Raju, the, the quick glimpse into Raju's home life was, was kind of sad and it kind of talks, would have been an opportunity. Maybe we'll talk about this in bonus content, but like just the nature of poverty um, and how, how grinding and how difficult and, just tough that can be um yeah, and that was extra pressure on him because he was trying to provide exactly. his sick father and his mother who uh she wasn't able to earn any money and his sister he had to come up with a dowry for her right and and that was that was one of the things and, and i'll get into this i guess in bonus content because we are like so long uh incredibly long on this um but uh the virus uses those pressures or those uh issues that he knows about those personal pain points he uses them and weaponizes them yeah yeah when he writes the 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 monthly salaries of the families on the board in front of raju and and faran yeah he's just like hey this is the salary that rancho's family makes and it's like some exorbitant number and he's like if you take a two way a zero it's still good money you take away two zeros eh, maybe now you got to start worrying a little bit and that's what Faran's family make and you take away another zero and well now you really got to worry and that's what Raju's family makes and they're both just sitting there like and then they try and break off their friendship with Rancho because they they're kind of buying into viruses uh propaganda there that he's a bad influence on them yeah, and, and he's, uh, he's totally using that uh that inequality as a wedge and trying to yeah. get them g- jealous of him well, I think they're tra- he's trying to make them think like, oh, this is the reason why Rancho doesn't care is because he's going to fall back on this, you know, this silver spoon that's in his mouth. Um, but that belies his uh, his performance. That belies his talents for sure. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we, we really should uh, wind this one down. Jared, you've yeah. been uh, eight, eight and a half idiots. Yeah. Eight and a half idiots. Eight and a half idiots from Robert. Eight idiots for me. And we are, of course, three idiots talking about the movie. Three idiots. 
This has been our episode on Three Idiots, and uh, you can find the show notes more at lastnerves.com slash 154. You can find Jared's content uh, linked on there, but uh, Breaking Liberty uh, and Anarcholand. And uh, do you have any other links or anything uh, that you would like to share with the audience before we get into Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is bonus content available for our Patreon supporters? Uh, nope. BreakingLiberty.com. Uh, that's, uh, I, I wrote a, uh, an ebook about the series breaking, breaking bad. And, uh, it's, uh, it's the subtitle of breaking Liberty is libertarian commentary on AMC's hit show. So it's, it's a collection of essays all about, um, different scenes and plot lines from, from the, from the, the great TV show breaking bad. Um, anarcholand.com. Uh, my my Anarcholand project is currently on hiatus, but uh, that will be coming back at some point. And I kind of hinted last time I was on the show of my desire to do my own podcast. And I think I'm getting closer to pulling the trigger on that probably within the next year or two. I think I want to get started on that after, uh, after I kind of get my feet set here. I, my family just moved across the country. Well, I guess down the country um about uh eight months ago so I'm, I'm getting my client base built up here and i'm getting you know us settled into the home and i'm getting my my kids and my you know my home life all set up but um i've got a friend of mine who said he would be willing to do all of the production side of the podcast um, which makes my life a lot easier oh, so robert, think- robert knows all about that that's what you gotta do you gotta have a daniel <laughs> get yourself a daniel and you'll it's no it's, it's super easy yeah just show up <laughs> watch a movie yeah no yeah. but I, I mean so yeah we're gonna i'm gonna go down that route um at some point here i uh i, I always appreciate being able to come on uh your guys's show because it gives me that chance to to vent and let out some of this stuff that uh you know weighs on a on a libertarian all these regulations and taxes and mass incarcerations and drone bombings and terrible schools and all that, that the, the government um, thrusts upon us. So I, uh, I appreciate the outlet and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to building one of my own here at some point. And I have a feeling that uh, I'll be uh, returning the favor or asking for the favor of you guys coming and, and joining me. And maybe we'll, we'll talk about some episodes of the wire or, uh, or whatever here, you know, come, come uh the anarcho cast whenever that gets going cool yeah yeah bring it on yeah and and we'll definitely uh love to have you back uh even before that launches and once it does launch if we can provide any modest boost that we have uh garnered in our uh years of doing this um but jared thanks again for for being our guest i hope you'll stick around for a little bit longer for the kathleen turner overdrive and robert you uh you mentioned uh the long film we're going to be doing next it is Kingdom of Heaven, and it is the director's cut. Now, on Amazon Prime, uh, included, if you are an Amazon Prime member, is the traditional theatrical cut. I do not recommend, I repeat, I do not recommend that you watch the theatrical cut. Please go out of your way to watch the Ridley Scott director's cut, because it is, yes, very long, but it also makes the movie make sense. And uh, that, of course, is a big... Uh, big motivating factor for us in wanting to watch a movie is if it makes sense. Uh, I think Robert, you would agree with me on that one. And that's why this movie was so satisfying. It made sense. Absolutely. Yes. Watch the director's cut. I'm excited actually to watch it. I do love a good medieval epic. 
And yeah, it's a shame that they put so much time and energy into Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of Heaven. And whatever pressures were put upon it to butcher it into some incoherent mess is a shame. So yeah, check it out. Hopefully, it, hopefully it's good. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I am actually excited to see it. Well, the, I, I left out the best part. It is, of course, a recommendation by our buddy Mike C, who's been on probably a dozen times now. And he says it is a brilliant film, the director's cut version. And so it's a Christmas special. It's the Christmas spirit in that we're talking about a movie about the Crusades uh, because it's you know Christmas. And what's more appropriate than that? So appropriate than killing Muslims on Christmas. Well, we're, what? you know, we're doing it. What, did I say it, something wrong? What? What? It's uh, it's going to be a good movie, and we're going to talk about it with our buddy Mike C. And uh, Jared, this has been a good movie. We talked with you, our good buddy. And uh, we'll be back next week talking about the other movie. And we are, of course, three idiots talking about movies on The Last Nighters. And you can find us at lastnighters.com slash 154 for this episode and more. And uh, with that, we'll say good night and last night and see you next week. And uh, peace out, homies. Maximum freedom.